It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. everybody welcome to our wednesday edition of the orange and brown talk podcast getting you ready for patriots week here on the podcast lance riceland is coming up in the second half he's going to look back on the chargers game and tell us a little bit uh, about Deion jones as well but before we do that mary Kay cabot is here ashley bastock is here and we are going to give you each one thing we're thinking about as the week starts or one storyline we're watching whatever it is it's wide open whatever you want uh, as we get you ready for the week here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Mary Kay, what have you got? You know, the thing that I'm thinking about and the thing that is on my mind right now uh, is the Browns' defensive front. Um, they have added Deion Jones. We will be meeting him on Wednesday for the first time. And then they also uh, signed defensive tackler, tackle Tyler Davison to their practice squad. And, and by the end of the week, I'm sure... Um, he will be up on the active roster, but, um, but they're, you know, they're bolstering the defensive front a little bit because of what's happened with the run game, the last two weeks, 440 yards. And then, you know, just along these same lines, Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney and Taven Bryan, I think we'll all be a lot healthier this week heading into, um, this Patriots game. They will all be one more week removed from their injuries and I think they'll have a better showing. So that's what's on my mind is uh, the Browns being able to do a better job against the run with a uh, sort of some new faces on the defensive front. Yeah, Ashley, I think that, I mean, the defense is kind of the story of the week, right? Like the way they played the last two weeks, getting just gashed on the ground. And I mean, if Brandon Staley and, and the Chargers were sitting there saying, we're just going to run the ball on this team, certainly Every, all these teams coming up are, are going to say the same thing until the Browns show they could stop it. Right. And I think we have to remember coming into week five, the Chargers had the best passing offense in the NFL and like the worst rushing offense and put up season best numbers against this defense. So I do think it's it's certainly a, a strategy um, to do this against this defense right now. And it's kind of like what we've talked about they kind of have to prove they can stop the run at this point. If I'm an opposing team, that's going to be the number one thing I'm looking at and trying to take advantage of those breakdowns because they're just so, so prevalent right now. Mary Kay, I want to ask you this because there's there's sort of a team building philosophy here too, I think. Were the Browns were the Browns wrong necessarily to to kind of say, like, hey, Jordan Elliott, let's see what you got? No, I don't think they were wrong to do that. I mean, I think there comes a point where 
you have to roll out your higher draft picks. And remember, Jordan Elliott and Jacob Phillips were, were third rounders. You want your third rounders to turn into starters at some point. And if you're not doing that by your third year, then there's something wrong. There's something gravely wrong that maybe you don't have what it takes. So I do think that it was time uh, to see what those guys had. And um, and now the receipts are going to be coming due. I mean, they've, they've got to go out there and and they've got to do it. And I think the fact that they uh, they went out and got a new linebacker, you know, that that might say something about, you know, what they feel about the job that Jacob Phillips has done over the previous two weeks. Um as far as I'm looking up um, Jordan's pro football focus grade for this past week. Um, let me look real quick while we're on here. Um, it'll just take me one super quick second. Um, okay. So um, Jordan Elliott ended up about not middle of the pack, a little bit lower than middle of the pack. Of the 19 guys listed on here on Pro Football Focus, Jordan Elliott ended up um, number 12, but the overall grade is not good, okay? The overall grade was 48.1, and the run defense, of course, nobody should get a very good run defense grade. Some of the ones that are on here seem too high as it is. Uh, but his run defense grade was 43.3. Well, I mean, that's not going to cut it. I mean, if you're the one of the starting defensive tackles on the team, your run defense grade has to be much better than 43.3. And I think it's probably easier to grade run defense than it is necessarily uh, coverage grades when you don't know if what the assignments were. I think for the most part, you can tell what the assignment is in running. I, I would guess that it's it's easier to do that. But, you know, he did not grade out well in that game. Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa did not grade out well in that game. He was in the 40s, including in run defense. Same thing with um, John Johnson. The three was in the 40s. Taven Bryant was in the 40s. Alex Wright and Perion Winfrey were in the 30s. So uh, there were a lot of questionable performances. Now, Jacob actually graded out well in this game. Jacob uh, graded out at a 68, and he was number six overall. So, you know, maybe it isn't as much, you know, just Jacob as it is the fact that uh, they know they need some veteran leadership in the linebacker room. I think, you know, j just going back, I, I, I'm i kind of with you on the idea that I, I'm okay with like this kind of came up with the Anthony Schwartz discussion before the season. Like I'm okay with this team saying, Hey, we drafted these guys pretty high. You know, I mean, top hundred picks. We drafted these guys. We're putting time into developing them and coaching them. At some point, we're going to put them on the field and see what they've got. I, I, I don't have an issue with that approach. I do think the one issue is they didn't protect themselves enough. In some of these cases, like they might have to go out and get somebody to help out if they don't think Jordan Elliott can turn this around. You know, they had to go out and get Deion Jones. You know, we've talked about the receiver position uh, about feeling, still feeling a veteran short there when, when they're not kind of getting what they were hoping to get out of some of these young guys they threw out there. But I don't really have a problem with them kind of saying, all right, Jordan Elliott, there's a spot here. Go, go take it. Let's see what you've got. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, now, now we'll see if they want to make a decision there, if they want to kind of keep seeing if he can improve or if they want to go out and maybe get somebody before the trade deadline. Ashley, what do you think? 
Yeah, I think that's right. And I think when we've talked about this before, you know, this was a big offseason conversation with us and Jacob Phillips, right? Like, do you let Jacob Phillips take over this starting middle linebacker role or do you try to bring Anthony Walker back? And obviously they brought Anthony Walker back. It felt like they wanted Jacob Phillips to take that job. And Anthony Walker just flat out won it. He outplayed him in practice and in preseason and training camp when he was available uh, and all of that. But I do think, you know, at I think this is where it's kind of coming back to bite that. And, and like Mary Kay said, you know, I understand when you have guys, especially guys who you drafted in the third round or higher, you want them to be consistent contributors on your team. Eventually you have to give those guys a chance to see if they can actually do that. But I do think kind of like we are to the point that I wouldn't be surprised if they're going to kind of shore up this defensive front a little bit more because the guys they have right now just really haven't been able to get it done. And some of that might be injury related, but much like we talk about with receiver, I think maybe they've taken a gamble on some of these guys. And the reality might be that in a year or two from now, they're going to not have panned out. And you kind of need some insurance right now, I think, given the other pieces of your defense, like Miles Garrett, like Greg Newsom, like Denzel Ward, that you you feel really comfortable with, for example. And you really need to shore up those pieces that you don't feel super comfortable with. Dan, have you, I mean, and Ashley, have you guys looked up Jordan's overall grade or any of the overall grades of the defensive tackles yet by any chance? I was I looking at their their overall run defense grades for the season, and they're not good at defensive yeah. tackle. It can't be. Um, no, overall for the season, run defensive grades among defensive tackles specifically, Taven Bryan has the best grade at 47.8. Then it's down to Perion Winfrey, 39 even. Coming in at 21st, second to last is Jordan Elliott um, at 29. And then coming in last place is Tommy Togiai at 28. So those are all from PFF. Those are run grades for the season. Again, unsurprisingly, best run defender on the team, Jadavian Clowney, uh, with a 79.7 grade for the season. And obviously he's missed some games. Yeah. And, and when you look at, and if you go over and you just look at the position of defensive tackles, and I always punch in 20% of the guy who's got the most snaps uh, as the minimum there. Jordan Elliott is 135th with a 30.2 overall defensive grade for the season. And as you mentioned, 29 in, in run defense. Okay. 30.2 is someone that usually doesn't last on the team very long. Starting grades are usually around in the 70s. So 30.2 is not going to cut it. Again, you know, we don't always know how the grades match up with what with, with the Browns are coming up with themselves, but he actually started out okay, apparently, uh, against Carolina with a 60.2 and has pretty much gone down from there. So, you know, it 30.2 is absolutely not going to cut it. And, and they're going to have to figure out what the problem is because all we heard about all off season was how good Jordan Elliott was going to be. And we didn't just hear it from coaches, even miles Garrett was saying it and other players were saying it as well. And uh, so just, this is just something to watch because I remember last year, uh, you know, the Malik brothers did not grade out well at all. And it was an area of concern. And if they're right back at it here this year with uh, issues of this magnitude, that's a, that's a big problem. And the other the other issue too is I, I'm looking this up on the fly. If you're not going to be good against the run, you better at least create some pressure. Right. And right now, 
looking at PFF data, Taven Bryan is 28th among defensive line, de- not defensive linemen, 28th among interior defensive players. So defensive tackles, basically. He's yeah. 28th with nine pressures. Jordan Elliott is 31st with eight pressures. Nobody else even in the top 50 here on this this first PFF screen. That's not good. I mean, no. if, if you're not going to stop the run, you better be creative. And I'm not asking you to be, you know, you look at the leaders are Aaron Donald, Jeffrey Simmons, Chris Jones, Grady Jarrett. I'm not asking you to be those guys, but like, I, I mean, can you have 15 pressures like Deron Payne? Can you, you know, 14 like Matt Ioannidis? Like, at, at least create pressure if you're not going to stop the run and they're not even doing that. Yeah, I mean, Tommy Togiai. 137th overall minimum of 20% snaps with a 28.9 overall defensive grade. As I mentioned, Jordan Elliott, 135. Uh, you know, these guys are um, in the Perion Winfrey. I mean, Perion Winfrey, we all thought that Perion was maybe going to challenge for a starting job this year and that he was going to help upgrade the interior of the defensive line. Here he's sitting at uh, number 110 with a 47.9 grade. So, you know, most of these guys are are really struggling. And even Taven Bryan is at um, 97. So, you know, the top guys are all almost like 100 and lower. You know, that, that just can't be. I mean, that, that just can't be. I mean, for comparison's sake, you know, Chris Jones of Kansas City, 91.9. Aaron Donald, 91.1. You know, the that's some of the uh the level. Cam Hayward of the Steelers, 86.9, number set tied for number seven overall. The Browns aren't even close. They are not even close. And the receipts are coming due right now. Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> it's tough. And like, like I said, I don't need you to be here. Aaron Donald's a first ballot Hall of Famer, might be the greatest defensive player ever, or one of them. Right. Probably Lawrence Taylor. But anyway, that, that's a different discussion. Some of the like I don't I don't even need you to be Chris Jones, right? Like Chris Jones is one of the best defensive players, but like come on, you've got to at least be give me something. Give me at least above league average. Let's let's start there and then, and then let's move and then let's move up. All right, Ashley, what are you thinking? What I am thinking about is actually a quote from last year after the Browns lost to the Patriots 45 to seven on the road. And we talk about this quote a lot, but it came from John Johnson, the third immediately after the game where he got asked if the Patriots caught them off guard in that game. Because if you remember that game going into it, everyone kind of thought it was kind of a nothing game on the schedule, especially given Mac Jones at quarterback. We thought even though it's a road game, it should be an easy win. It obviously ended up not being that. But after the game, JJ3 said, I think they did a good job of going back to our season, looking at what we had trouble with and just attacking it. And I just keep thinking about it, given everything we just talked about, right? And given the issues the Browns have had in the run game, Josh McDaniels might not be there anymore, but Bill Belichick obviously still is. And he now and his coaching staff have two weeks worth of tape saying that the Browns cannot defend against the run. They've given up 440 yards over their last two games. And New England just got a career performance from running back Ramondre Stevenson. So to me, what I'm thinking about is last year and how the Patriots game plan for this Browns defense and what we can infer based on that going into this year. And I think it could get 
ugly given what both teams have done in recent weeks. So that's what I'm thinking about. I, I'm I'm just gonna fold my my thing into yours. I hate this matchup. <laughs> like having watched that game, I, I watched. Yeah, I watched the Lions Patriots game. I know you did too, Ashley. I like. I don't like the Patriots aren't good. No, and let's remind they, people they they shut out the Lions, but they got a defensive touchdown and five field goals in that game. Like, yeah, it's it's not pretty, right? But it's it's how they game plan for people. Yeah, like on the one hand, they shut out the Lions, who were just scoring like crazy before that game, but then they also, like you said, they only scored one offensive touchdown against a defense that was getting scored on like crazy. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I don't know if this is a good team or not. Um uh, but I know this like they can run the ball. Bill's going to if Bill sees a weakness, he's going to pounce on it. If Bailey Zappi is the starter, I mean he's not he's okay. Like he does yeah. what he's supposed to do. I don't know. <laughs> I just Mary Kay this league is so much about matchups, right? And when it came to like the Chargers, you know, you kind of kept saying this over and over, like you were a little nervous picking the Chargers in that game. And I know I was too, like, because there were just matchups there where you looked at it and said, mm-hmm. I think the Browns can take advantage of this. And they did in the run game. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I feel a little bit like that with this Patriots team. Like if they just pound the football and if somehow Matthew Judon just goes off, that, I mean, you, you've got a recipe for an upset. You do. And, you know, their run defense is good. Their run defense is good. And if they take away, uh, you know, the Browns' strength, which is their running game, then, you know, they can win this game, especially if they can run. And I'll tell you, um, I, I know exactly what Bill Belichick does and how his mind works. He knows, he finds a way to shut down a couple of strengths on your team. He doesn't try to do it all, but he knows that if he can minimize Miles Garrett, Nick Chubb, and probably Amari Cooper, that he can win the game. And that's what he's going to try to do. He's focusing on those three players, and he will do everything in his power uh, to take those guys out of the game. Now, that might open a few things up for uh, you know, David Njoku and maybe maybe Donovan Peoples-Jones. But those things don't scare Bill Belichick that much. I don't think there are that many uh, players on this team, except for the ones that I mentioned, that, you know, that he's really burning the midnight oil over right now. You know that he's going to do that about Miles. And again, Miles is going to be that much healthier this week now that he will be about three weeks out of his accident. I think that will help him. I think that Jadavian Clowney will be better this week. Taven Bryant will be better this week. But that's what Bill's going to do. He's going to find the weaknesses. And here's the other thing about Bill Belichick. This is, don't underestimate the fact that he's coming back to Cleveland where he likes to stick it to the Cleveland Browns. He loved beating them 45 to seven last year. I don't care what anybody says. He is going to have extra for the city of Cleveland that did not respect his ability and his talent. And, um, you know, he, he has some, you know, good memories of being here and he's got some, you know, some painful memories of, of being here. So I, I think he's going to pull out all the stops and, you know, we don't even know who's who their quarterback is going to be yet, but he'll work around that too, you know? 
I mean, that's why Brian Dable can do things like that because he learned that from Bill Belichick. So you don't have a quarterback. You got a rookie quarterback. We'll, we'll work around that. We'll figure it out. We'll run the wildcat. You know, we'll do whatever we have to do. I mean, these guys are resourceful. They're creative. But what they do better than anybody is find your weakness and kill it. Yeah, Ashley, I I mean, like there's a world where Ramondre Stevenson runs the ball 35 times on, on Sunday. <laughs> he ran it 20 times against him last year. So, yeah, I would say it's probably going to be more than that. Like, you know what I mean? We were joking before we started recording. I said, can they just physically, can he just have 50 carries on Sunday? And like, they just, that's all they do. Um, I guess it depends on if the Browns make, you know, any real strides in trying to stop him. But I will say the one thing, especially that is, particularly scary about him as a back and what the Browns are struggling with right now is his ability to pick up yards after the catch. Um, He's like seventh in the league right now, according to PFF with 288 of his total rushing yards this year. uh, And he has 372 for the year have come after the catch. He's very good at just essentially breaking tackles, which the Browns have struggled with missed tackles um, and, and still maintaining that momentum. So that is in particular, you know, something to, to that kind of, like we said, when we talk about this, maybe not being a good matchup for them, especially right now, that's something that has really just caught my eye and watching his running style. And again, just knowing how he took advantage of them last year, especially. I mean, Bill had a game last year, Mary Kay, where they threw the ball. Mac Jones threw three passes. Yeah. Obviously different circumstances, but he just decided it was windy. So, Mac, you're not throwing the ball. Yep. <laughs> He'll do whatever he wants to do. Yeah, and, and he's coached in obviously so many games that he's not worried about that. He'll he'll do what it takes. And and like I said, the same thing, um, we saw the same thing from – from Brian Dayball this year, where he had to use Saquon Barkley as his wildcat quarterback. They know how to improvise and get by. It doesn't have to be perfect. They'll figure out a way to get the job done. And, and that's what he'll do. So we don't, you know, I don't even know if it matters that much that Mac Jones might not be able to play again, because uh, he will dial up that run until the Browns show they can stop it. Okay, well, this was a doom and gloom. Things we're thinking this week <laughs> to the Patriots. Well, I will say, can Sunday. we can we can take a positive turn in this, right? <laughs> and I do I do have a story that's going to go up on this on Wednesday about things to know about the Patriots. But you know what's interesting about that game last year, for as much of a disaster as that game was last year, when we do talk about it, it was kind of the turning point for this defense. And there's no guarantee that that's going to happen again. But when we talk about the defense kind of turning around last year, like the most points they gave up after that in a single game was like 26, I think. And in four of those next seven games, they held opponents to 16 points or fewer. So they did get some things figured out after kind of being, you know, methodically torn apart and a very <laughs> painful loss. They it, it did work out in their favor. Ultimately, in the end, they did learn some things. So Maybe this year they'll be better prepared for that. Maybe the turnaround will happen. I don't know. Just we're just throwing things at a wall, positivity at a wall, and hoping something sticks. Jacoby Brissett revenge game. Jacoby Brissett revenge game also a possibility. Yeah, but think <laughs> about this. I mean, for everything that we're saying about the the defense, um, they are they still have this. They're still in the middle of this gauntlet where they've got mm-hmm. uh, to try to do it against Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow. 
Tom Brady, Josh Allen, right? Mm-hmm. And this will be the uh, out of this stretch, the whole rest of the time that Jacoby Brissett plays. You know, this is going to be the, the easiest quarterback situation that he'll have, of course, depending on what happens in Miami at that point. But um, but it's certainly not going to get any easier for the defense over this next stretch. Yeah, this isn't. I know. I know you hate the the phrase "must win," Mary Kay. This isn't a must win. Got to win this game. You got to find a way to win this game. You are better than the Patriots. You've got to figure out a way to to shore up that run defense and win this game, especially if it's Bailey Zappi starting again, uh, because you do have just an absolute gauntlet coming up, including those two big division games against Baltimore and Cincinnati um, after this one. Okay, there we go. Uh, the things we're thinking as we head into Patriots week here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, Lance Reisland is going to come up after the break to look back on the loss to the Chargers. Mary Kay and Ashley, I'll talk to you both later. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We now lo- welcome on Lance Reisland. Lance, how are you? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. Uh, thanks for taking the time. As always, we're going to look back at the Browns-Chargers game on Sunday and the Browns and just an abysmal performance on the ground. And that's where we're going to start. What happened? Why was this team so unable to stop the run against a Chargers team that, you know, look, Austin Eckler's a very talented back, but the Chargers haven't been running the football really. And they got a lot on the ground against this team. Well, for me, it kind of goes back to my pre preseason concern with those defensive tackles. And it's not, um, it's not talent. Uh, it's style. These, uh, these tackles they have with Elliot and Winfrey and Togiai. And these guys are all one gap guys. They're penetrating guys. They like to rush the passer. Um, they have limitations uh, and inexperience against these big power doubles they're getting in the zone game, these big power doubles they're getting on counter and, and power. Um, and it shows and they play extremely high um, and they're getting moved and they're getting moved. And that couple with Phillips right now is not, he's playing more East West. Uh, so he's getting walled off by these big tackles coming off these double teams. Um, and then there's also, there's, there's fundamentals in terms of alignment, um, they, their, their run fits are very poor right now. Um, so you, you couple all that, you know, there's also something to be said about, uh, you know, Garrett and Clowney are in those wide fives. So they're not involved too much inside there in the, inside that B gap, C gap area, they're wide and they're rushing the passer. Um, and once again, the, it, it's not surprising to me just because of the style they play and, um, you know, they're going to get tested here moving forward for sure. You know, you you said something in the in the note that you sent me about what you wanted to talk about. And you mentioned the poor run fits and you you put at the end of that sentence like a blown coverage. Um, explain that a little bit. How how are poor run fits similar to maybe the blown coverages we saw earlier this year? Well, there's a difference. When you get beat, sometimes you get beat. And sometimes people run over top of you. Sometimes Miles Garrett's gonna win and sometimes the guard's gonna win. But you know, those run fits, everybody's in charge of a gap. So you have, you know, from the center on out, you have A gap, B gap, C gap, and then D gap is usually uh, outside the tight end all the way to the sideline. And everybody's in charge of a gap. And, you know, one of the concerns about, the you know, the long 
long run from Eckler. That was a run fit. And, you know, there's depending on what defense there is, there's a couple different things that I saw it could have been. Um, but when you don't have a guy in a gap, that's like a bone coverage. And you see that when you get those long runs that no one touches people, that's a run fit. And the Browns didn't have anybody in P-gap. And Phillips didn't slide over for whatever reason. Um, but for me, that was, that's just as bad. We used to, you know, that was a blown coverage to me. That's that's the same thing as not being where you should be in the, in the back end. And uh, so that's they're getting a lot of that. So not only are they getting moved, the tackles are getting moved, and the linebackers are playing side to side, but they're lining up wrong, and they're they're leaving gaping holes. And if you if you stop the film with all twenty two, you can see these gaping windows and these gaping holes that they got to sure up quickly. So how does that happen? Is is that communication? Is it someone not doing what they're supposed to do? Maybe overplaying something? How, how does that happen? Well, you you just said it all. It's first, it's communication usually. Um, it's usually right now. Sometimes they're getting blown out of their gaps. So a linebacker might have a P gap. He's expected to play, you know, a minimal yard or two. Uh, but these tack- tackles are getting moved um, quite. You know, they're getting vertically displaced and horizontally displaced. So these gaps are are, are bigger than they should be. Um, everybody's got to kind of be boring on that defensive line and kind of maintain their gaps so these linebackers run free. Uh, but you're right. It's it's communication. It's uh, pre-snap alignment. It's knowing if it's a tight end or not a tight end. It's knowing the down and distance. It's knowing the tendencies where they run the ball and uh, who they're, you know, it, it, all those things tie into it. Uh, in terms of like a film breakdown, and right now it's all it's all bad. It's uh, the, uh, all those things are bad right now. Um, we'll save Jacob Phillips because I want to talk about Deion Jones a little bit later. So um, we'll talk about him a little bit later. So let's move on to three plays that you think define this game. And I mean, the first one is kind of that Eckler long run, right? Mm-hmm. So on the Eckler long run, you have uh, you have uh, Mike Bandy. He goes in motion, and when he goes in motion, for whatever the film study showed them. JOK goes on the outside and JOK blitzes. The The issue I had is that Clowney was also outside. So, again, you talk about um, uh, gap fits or run fits. Uh, so, right now, they have Clowney and JOK. So, the snap of the ball, they got Clowney and JOK uh, in C gap. So, either Clowney's got to rip inside and or Phillips has got to slide over when JOK comes up on the line of scrimmage. Then at the snap of the ball, Togiai goes inside, and the Chargers were running a, a duo scheme where they're going to double those tackles. And by Togiai going inside, Zion, the the left the left guard doesn't even have to. Um, I'm sorry, the right guard doesn't even have to double Togiai. So they're trying to move him down into a gap. Togiai goes there, so the center just takes him, and the guard that Zion Johnson goes right to Phillips, who's aligned poorly over top of the over top of the center. Um, so you have all these things that kind of tie together. You have guys in multiple gaps. Um, Phillips doesn't slide over. Togiai goes inside. And then you have a poor run fit. You have no one in P-gap. And that happens over and over uh, in terms of, um, obviously, one of the first things that should happen is that, in my opinion, is that, you know, when JOK is coming off the edge, uh, Clowney should have slid down and taken that B-gap um, because then they got to block him, uh, which will allow Phillips to run free. And then when Phillips sees that, he's got to be again. He's um, he's not reactionary. He's he kind of he react. He doesn't react fast enough. So um, he's caught inside on, on top of the center, and it's just an easy. It's a really it's an easy uh, play for the Chargers. Another one was that fourth and one uh, when the Browns went for it in their own territory. It was the second straight week they did that. Um, you know, I think Kevin Stefanski has taken a little bit of unfair criticism this year, considering how efficient this offense has been. 
and, and what he's been able to do with it. Uh, I thought Sunday, however, was a little bit of a rough day for him. There, there was that goal line series again. He kind of got bailed out by that roughing call. And then there was this play, which the decision I didn't mind. Like I said, it was the second week in a row he, he went for it in his own territory. And with the way the game was going, I was okay with that. But part of that was based on, well, you've got Jacoby Brissett. And it's his sneaks are almost automatic at this point. And I know that, look, in the NFL, things are automatic until they aren't. But what, what did you think of that one? Well, if you go away from, I, I agree. I think it should have been a quarterback sneak and stop it, you know, run until they stop it. And it has been proven to be pretty good at this point in terms of the uh, efficiency of it. But the problem is they called it and then they had some issues with it, which was um, they ran the counter, which I was okay with. They had 13 personnel in, they had done in at the tight end, uh, and they ran that counter with Antonio coming all the way around which has been one of their top three run plays they've been running uh, through the first month of the season. So I was okay with that call. Then you had some things he had some, you know, uh, Teller gets beat inside. So Covington beats Teller. Um, but once again, I don't think Teller's necessarily wrong in terms of his effort because usually that defensive tackle, Covington's just going to bury himself in an A gap and Teller's going to try to drive, drive him out of there. He, have, he does a little swim move. He crosses his face and beats him. Uh, and then they don't get a very good tackle on – they don't get a very good double team. Conklin and Dunn don't get a good good double team on Morgan, who penetrates, which makes them stay on the double and allows Drew Tranquil to run through B-gap. So you just had massive penetration uh, from, you know, those guys. So, again, it's Teller, and I, I know what he's thinking because all week when they run on that play, it's fourth and one, that guy's going to bury himself in A-gap, and he just didn't. So I do think, the, I, you know, and then obviously – uh, but my major concern, which is kind of takes me into my last point, is that I'm not sure why Nick Chubb is not in there on that play. And for me, I just think he's um, he's a, he is an absolute horse. And I and I love Green Hunt and, and I think he's fantastic. But Nick Chubb is arguably one of the top three to five players in the NFL, not the running backs players. And I think he's got to be on the field on a fourth and one if you're going to run that, that counter scheme. I, I agree with you on that one. Um, and and this was something that came up last year a little bit too. There there was a play where there was a series in Baltimore where they had Dearness Johnson on the field instead of Nick Chubb. This was when Kareem Hunt was hurt, um, and it was like an end of game series. And it was sort of like, wait a second, why why is that? Why are you sticking so closely to your rotation here when you need Chubb on the field? I might push back a little bit though um, on your third third point overall on Chubb and that was um at the end of the game but okay go ahead and, and make your point here well you know I just think I've always believed in players over plays and you know I see what they're doing because usually and I could be wrong but usually your personnel group what you have in that um that two minute personnel is your third down personnel so a lot of times you're going to get that back in there which for the Browns is, is Kareem Hunt um I just think um what do you throw it to him you hand it to him there are certain guys uh, regardless of and and I used to have a I used to have it on my call sheet. It's players over plays. So no matter what it is, a run or a pass, I just think that the arguably one of the top five players in the NFL has to be on the field in crucial situations. And and, and I understand they're in third and long, and you know they're trying to get things. But just the idea of him being out there, a touch on a checkdown, uh, whatever it is, you know, set likes to throw those checkdowns. I just think um, when you you don't have a ton of horses on offense, you know, it, it, which the Browns don't. I just think he's the guy um, that has to be in there in crucial situations. 
and uh, you know, and, and Hunt's dynamic too, and I like him. But uh, Nick Chubb, for me, watching him is is he's he's incredible. So it's it's hard to argue with not having Nick Chubb on the field. Here's the only the only thing I would say in response to that, and why you maybe have Kareem Hunt on the field, and that's because you're going to be a little bit pass heavy, even though you only need ten or fifteen yards you're going to be kind of in that, like you said, you're going to have your third down personnel on the field. Now they did run the ball with hunt on one of those plays. First and 10 at the chargers 35. Um, they ran hunt left tackle and there was no game there. So, so maybe that just blows up my argument as a whole, but if you're going into those, into that series thinking we're going to have to throw the ball, I think you may want hunt on the field more than Chubb in that situation, but I don't know. That's that. That's the argument I would make in favor of Hunt over Chubb, but I, well, I look where they kind of splitting the, hairs. Yeah, you know exactly right. And it's and you see why I did. And I thought Stefanski made a good call on some of those things that were questioned. You do get in the flow of the game, and you do. There is minimal time, and it's easy to look back at it. And I understand all that, but I, you know, when I don't know if they had to throw the ball there. I know they were short time, but if they were planning on kicking a field goal, they were almost in field goal range when they got the ball. So I'm not sure, and I'm I'm assuming the Chargers thought they were going to throw too. So I'm not sh- sure. Um, the idea if Chubb gets the ball on the second level, that's ex- that's an explosive play for the Cleveland Browns. Chubb on the second level before he gets tackled, that's an explosive play. So if you need 10 to 15 yards, I'm not you know. So you he gets he gets six yards, maybe, maybe you throw it. Uh, he gets seven yards, you run it again. You have to clock it, kick the field goal. Like you said, it's splitting hairs. It's tough. Uh, I just always like the best players your best players have to be on the field in crucial situations for whatever reason i just always believe that yeah and and i do think when when i look at that series i think there was room for like i said they did run the ball once that was on a first and 10 with 47 seconds but they almost seemed a little content at that point to sort Mm -hmm. of yeah if we're stuck at the 35 we'll kick from the 35 i think there was probably room to run the ball when they took over with uh 110 left on the clock and you know they had a second and ten at the forty-five. Maybe that's a, a situation where you can catch them with a run. With a run, um, th- there were some opportunities still, I think, to run the football there. And Nick Chubb, as as we've talked about, he is kind of your big play guy. He, he's the guy that can get you fifteen, twenty yards like that. Yeah, there's very few running backs that are, that can you know you can say we're going to run the ball and get a big play. He's one of them. He's one of those guys. And if you were content to kick the field goal there, why not run it with your best player? Um, but once again, you know, the situational football, the NFL is dies by situational football and they knew what they were doing there in terms of whether it was right or wrong. Um, they had a plan and, and they went with it and, um, it's easy to look back, but, and especially with those two guys, it's, it's, it's always tough for sure. I, I agree players over plays. We, we always joke about making t-shirts on this podcast. We need to make a players over plays. That's I, I live by that one. It's always players over plays. You know, everybody says, do you like that? How is the film? Give the ball to Nick Chubb. And it sounds funny because I can break down fronts and coverages and all that kind of good stuff. Give the ball to Nick Chubb. Whatever you do, whatever the scheme is, give the ball to Nick Chubb. Players <laughs> over plays. You know, it's it's like the Super Bowl. Me and you have talked about before. You knew Cooper Cup was going to get it. Cooper Cup's going to get it. So it's yeah. and, and, and it players over plays always. Well, I mean, look at Monday Night Football, right? It was, yep. you know, Patrick Mahomes was awesome in that game, but how so much of it too is just like you know what, Travis Kelsey's going to get open and he's going to get the football. Yep, and we're gonna figure it out, and we're gonna yep. and we're gonna and we're, we're gonna throw it to him. So you can either you know, and the players gotta and the coaches gotta understand that players 
he's going to Kelsey. So draw it up how you want it, but I'm going to Kelsey. So uh, again, I just, you know, and that's once again, I, everything you said it makes total sense to me, but I'm getting the ball to Nick Chubb. I'm figuring out a way to get the ball to Nick Chubb somehow, some way. And that situation is tough, but uh, they got to figure it out for sure. All right. Before I let you go, tell me a little bit about Deion Jones. Uh, I like him on film. I've watched uh, five full games from 221. I think I'm going to go back and watch a little 220. Uh, he plays great in space. Uh, he can play all three linebacker positions. Uh, he plays on the LOS. He can set the edge if necessary. Uh, he can cover backs and tight ends. So he can do all that stuff in, in the woods scheme. The thing I like, though, right now is that uh, linebackers playing east to west. And uh, when he reads something, he pulls the trigger. So he's going to he's gonna analyze what's in front of him, and he's going to pull the trigger, and he's going to go. He's not always right, and he makes mistakes but his mistakes are forward. And right now, um, Browns need uh, linebackers who are moving forward when those big double teams are happening in front of them. Do you see a little bit of Anthony Walker in him? Because I, I sort of feel that way about Walker too. Like he's a guy that he'll go when, when he sees an opportunity, he'll go. And I, and I think the Browns really miss him. Oh, there's no question they miss him. You know, in leadership, you know, he's got the green dot. There's no, uh, yeah, this guy kind of reminds me of that in terms of uh, the, you know, shooting your shot. And, and, and I always believe that the term we'd like is, uh, you know, pull that trigger. If you see whatever you see, it's what you see. And in the NFL, it's so fast. You have to, if he sees that double, he's got to come. Um, and he's got to set the edge to that tackle or that guard, wherever, you know, whatever the scheme is, wherever his, uh, you know, wherever he's located, but he's got to pull the trigger and that's what he does. He he's aggressive. Uh, he plays with great pace. He plays with great energy. He looks like a great, great teammate. Uh, they need a little juice on that side of the ball. So I think he's going to help with all those things. Okay. That's Lance Riceland. He uh, does great breakdowns on our site over at cleveland.com slash Browns. If you see those at cleveland.com slash Browns and you click on it, it's like, Hey, you got to be a subscriber. That's easy enough. Just go to the blue banner at the top of the page. Uh, click that link to get info and get signed up to become a football insider subscriber. You get a newsletter delivered to your inbox every day. Uh, that's written by a member of our Browns reporting team. You get to be one of our tech subscribers and you get access to those stories and of course this podcast as well make sure you're subscribed uh on apple Podcasts and spotify and leave us uh five star reviews say nice things about us say nice things about lance we always love to see it uh lance i appreciate the time thank you as always for having me when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply all right, that was Lance Reisland. Hey, one more thing before we go. It's time for my NFL playoff committee of one. If you missed it last week, what I'm doing is essentially the college football playoff committee for the NFL and picking the seven teams in each conference that I that I would put in the playoffs right now. So this has nothing to do specifically with standings. This has nothing to do with where teams rank uh, with their records. This is a combination of record, eyeball test, stats, some advanced stats. I'm telling you where I think teams belong. My NFL 
college football playoff committee of one. How confusing is that? Let's do the AFC first. Uh, my only rules, I have to pick one team from each division. Uh, so I have to adhere to those rules, but I can seed teams in any order I want. Number one is Buffalo in the AFC. They stay there at four and one after absolutely torching the Steelers. And they are still number one overall in football outsiders DVOA. Number two remains the same as well. It's Kansas City at four and one. They stick there after a tight win over the Raiders. They play Buffalo Sunday. Both teams are probably still going to be one and two next week. That's going to be the absolute game of the week. Can't wait. Number three, getting a little weird. Baltimore moves up from the number five spots. Best second best strength of victory in the AFC. Two of the best losses you'll find among the three and two teams. So I like Baltimore at number three. Miami drops a spot to number four, but I don't know how we judge this team with Tua and Teddy both out. So we're going to give them the benefit of the doubt. We're going to make them our first wild card team. All right, you might not like this one. Cincinnati, number five, dropping a spot. Yes, that's right, the Bengals. They've played the toughest schedule in the AFC. They're tied with that mark so far. They have New Orleans, Atlanta, the Browns, and the Panthers coming up. So I'm going to hold off on sounding alarms on this team. I still like that defense. I still think that offense is going to come around. This is about the upside for them. I've got them at number five. Number six is Tennessee. They were not ranked last week. They're three and two. Somebody from the South has to be on the list. So it's the Titans this week. Number seven is the Chargers at three and two. Uh, They were seventh last week. A win over the Browns. They tried to lose it. They snagged this last wild card spot. Maybe this should be Jacksonville, but that Houston taste, that Houston loss, I should say, left a very bad taste in my mouth. So Jacksonville's out. And the Browns are my first team out, same as last week, uh, after a tough loss to the Chargers. Quickly over to the NFC. My number one team is still Philadelphia, 5-0. and The Eagles stay at the top, and they might be here for a while if they take care of Dallas on Sunday. And Dallas is my number two at 4-1 and and also my first wild card. They were sixth last week. And it's not that I absolutely love this team, but I'm not sure who else belongs here. So I'm going to set up a prove-it game for them. They also have the sixth-best defense, according to DVOA, and maybe the Defensive Player of the Year in Micah Parsons. Number three remains the same. San Francisco, three and two. Some of this is just about who I believe in more. And right now, that's the 49ers. That's why they're ahead of Minnesota, and that's why Tampa Bay at number four is also ahead of Minnesota. The roughing call was terrible But they held Atlanta to 261 yards, including 110 through the air. So I'm not convinced the Falcons were winning that game anyway. Bucks are fourth in overall DVOA and third in defensive DVOA. Then number five, staying the same, four and one Minnesota. Sure, I guess, whatever. Let's give the Giants some love at number six. Unranked last week, they're four and one. The feel-good story of the early season went across the Atlantic and beat the Packers. Are they winning too much? They're going to miss out on one of these good quarterbacks in the draft. Number seven is Green Bay, three and two. My final team in, my final wild card. They drop all the way from number two last week. This is almost by default after having a three-game winning streak snapped. There are still things to like there, and I'm betting on them getting right against the Jets and Commanders coming up. My first team out, the LA Rams, they were seventh last week. Are they really broken? I don't know. They've lost to the Bills, the 49ers, and Cowboys, which seems okay. Their schedule doesn't let up, though, after they play Carolina this week and they get a bye, but maybe a chance for them to get at least a little right playing uh, the beaten down Panthers who just fired their head coach. Uh, Okay, there we go. My NFL playoff committee of one. Uh, Thanks to Mary Kay and Ashley earlier. Thanks to Lance Reisland for taking the time to join as well. I'm Dan Lobby. Thanks for listening to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast.